acceptably man worthy of marriage. As we look at the picture of Boaz this morning, I want us to think about several things. Number one, what kind of man are you? Are you the man that God has called you to be for your spouse uh, and for your family and so forth? And then if you're a lady who's not yet married, what kind of man are you looking for? Uh, I was amazed as I was reading through the passage this week how many characteristics that God drew out of this story for us to learn from. So this morning we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So if you would follow along as I read from them. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, How did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I ask for your wisdom as we look at this passage of Scripture. I pray, God, that you'd help us to learn what you have for us to learn. pray, God, that you'd help us to put into practice those things that maybe we have once heard but have forgotten or have not practiced. And I ask, God, that we would walk out of here today challenged to be better persons for you. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, they say that opposites attract. And I think for the most part that tends to be true so often. But if that were the only case that was taking place here, what would that look like? Let me give you a few things. First of all, Boaz grew up following God. Ruth grew up in the land of Moab following idols. Opposites. Boaz was wealthy. Ruth, poor. Boaz, a business owner. Ruth, a migrant worker. Boaz was single. Ruth had already been married. Boaz, most likely, had never lost a loved one. Ruth lost her husband. Boaz, a mature believer. Ruth, a new believer. Boaz, financially secure. Ruth lived hand to mouth. If that were the only thing that was true, you could say, well, yeah. Opposites attracted in this situation. But one thing we have to keep in mind is the, the most important thing is not the compatibility factor, but the character factor. What is the character of the person that you believe God would have you to marry? And I think as we see in this passage here, we're going to see several characteristics of a godly man who is worthy of marriage. 
But what do you look for in a spouse? What did you look for in your spouse? For many, the answer is really superficial. Outside of Christ, why wouldn't it be? How many times have you heard the story that a, a young man, young woman got married and he didn't want to have kids, but as soon as you found out she was pregnant, she, he was gone? Or how many times have, has a young couple got married and as soon as one of them got cancer, the other one was gone? Happens all the time. I've heard a hundred stories like that. That's marrying for superficial reasons. Wow, she's gorgeous. Or he's so athletic. For many, it's things like money, looks, personality, skills, possessions, how they communicate, etc. But many have come to the conclusion that no matter what, it's always the opposites that attract. So, is there something more? I believe there is. It's called character. What every woman should want and what every man should possess. In Ruth 3, 10 through 17, we see several of these aspects, so we're going to look at those. But for a moment, before we consider these character traits, let me share just a little bit of a process that happens in my office from time to time when a couple comes to me and says, Pastor, we want to get married. It always starts with a conversation. And some of you are sitting here smiling because you know it's happened with you. I won't get into all that, but the one question that always starts off with is, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with Him? Unless I already know that to be the case from having conversations with Him. But that's where it starts. Why do we start there? Because Jesus Christ has to be at the center of every relationship. God has to be in the middle of it all. And if God is not there, either on one side or the other, on both sides, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so often, many of you who have maybe come to my office or you've heard me talk about this, it's the triangle. You know, up in the center, at the top of the peak of the triangle is God, and at lower corners of the triangle is the person, the, the husband, the wife-to-be, the man, the woman. And they say, well, oftentimes there's this distance between us. One's here, one's over here, and God's up in the center. How is it that I can get closer to my spouse by getting closer to God? You see, one's over here, one's over here, and God's up here. And as I get closer to God, and my spouse gets closer to God, what happens to the distance between us? It gets closer and closer. But what happens when one person goes up and the other one isn't? There's still distance. Or if this guy goes up and she doesn't, there's still distance. The only way that a husband and wife can be close is by getting close to God. God has to be at the center of every relationship if it is going to work. So that's where it starts. It starts with knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with Him. And God has made it very clear that two that are unequally yoked, guess what? It doesn't work. It creates turmoil and strife and, 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 and all kinds of problems that lead to other problems that lead to other problems. God has to be in the mix at the center of it all. And the question is, is there a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus Christ at the start of this relationship? If the answer is yes, is there an example of daily obedience to walking with God? See, what i found over the years is one person can say, well, yeah, I believe in God. I'm a follower of Him. But what does your life say? 
that's a hard question to answer sometimes. Because in our minds, we know we should be closer to God. We know we should be more obedient to God. And in my mind, I think I'm doing better than I actually really am. But what does my life say? Actions speak louder than words. So if we claim the name of Jesus Christ, do we talk about God in our conversations? I'm amazed at how many times people are hesitant to talk about God and what they're reading in the Bible. In church! How's your walk with God? What are you reading this week? And the questions that we start, and they kind of go the other direction because we don't really want to have this tense conversation. Because we really know in our heart we're not really reading a whole lot. But if we have a walk with God, and we say we're a child of God, do we talk about God? Do we seek His Word to know Him? Does the person that we're looking to marry, do they encourage you to know Him more? Does your spouse encourage you to know God more? Does your spouse encourage you to be obedient to God? Does your spouse encourage you to spend time with God? If you're a child of God, that ought to be a bare-bone minimum. Does he actually serve God and attend church? How many times say, well, man, he's a, he's a born-again believer, and well, where do you go to church? Well, um, that happens all the time. Does he actually serve God and attend church? Does he encourage others to know and follow God? Does the walk match the talk? As we look at these characteristics in the life of Boaz, you're going to see that it was real. It wasn't just hearsay. It wasn't just, well, I think he's a, well, he might be a Christian. There was no questions. He was a child of God. So what are these character traits that we see in the, in the life of Boaz? Well, first of all, we see the first one in verse 10. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. The first character trait was that of spirituality. He said, May the Lord bless you. In a day when there were no kings, there was chaos in the land. He stood up for what was right. He walked with God. How do we know that? Three different times he says, Bless you. When, he, when In Ruth chapter 2, uh, Boaz asked right away for God's blessing to be on all the workers that were working in his fields. If he wasn't walking with God, he wouldn't care about that. See, he was a spiritual man. He wasn't a religious man. He was a spiritual man. He asked God's blessing on the workers that worked in his fields. And then as he met Ruth, he prayed that Ruth would be sheltered under his wings. And we talked about that last week, the talith that was covered him. He was willing to take responsibility because he felt that was a God-given responsibility for him. He was a spiritual man. And now at the threshing floor, he's willing to take the responsibility. Boaz's faith was real. He was a spiritual man. And being spiritual is not about going to church. It's not about giving your dollars to the church. It's not even about doing acts of service. Spirituality is about being a real, growing follower of Jesus Christ in a relationship that is vibrant and alive. Spirituality is not religion. Religion leads nowhere. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
What about the trade, guys? As a man, are you a spiritual man? I didn't ask if you're religious. I didn't ask if you go to church. I didn't ask if you give. I don't ask if you help out. I'm asking, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is real and growing and alive? That's the kind of man Boaz was. Number two, there is humility. Men, do you have a dose of humility in your life? How do I know this? Verse 10 once again. He says, You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. You say, well, where do you get humility out of that? It's like this. You have shown more kindness to me. In other words, I can't believe that you're choosing me. I'm not worthy of this. I, I, I can't believe that you, there, there are younger men. God doesn't, God's Word doesn't tell us what he looked like, what kind of a man he was, whether he was tall, whether he was short, whether he was skinny, whether he was wide. But he looks at Ruth and he says, I can't believe there are younger men out here and you're looking to me? I'm not worthy. That's contrary to a lot of people in our culture. I'm fit. I'm buff. I go to the gym every week, and I'm awesome. We may not say it, but it rings out true all the time. Guys who have a pretty high opinion of self. Guys, we need humility. How many times have we talked to people who think, man, I just, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right, because I'm just right. Pride. I can do it better than you, so I'm going to do it. You don't need to mess with it. I got it. I'm better than you. Pride. What I think is better than what you think because I'm right, you're wrong. Pride. And here comes a man who says, you could have had these other guys. I'm just assuming here, and maybe I'm wrong, but by Boaz looking at her and saying, you've not looked at these other guys? She might have been a good-looking girl. Who knows? But he says, you didn't do that. Why? Why? believe you're looking to me. Humility. And you know what God's Word tells us in James chapter 4, verse 6? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe God was just dispelling His grace upon Boaz in such a beautiful way. He is blessing her with a wife-to-be, or blessing him with a wife-to-be, and eventually a family that he would honor and bless. Humility. And then number three, I see something else that I think every woman wants. And we see this in verse 11. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say. I think the third character trait that every man should possess is that of security. Every woman wants security. Is that true, women? You want to know that I'm going to be secure. Now ultimately we know that our security is found in God. But how God works that through in a physical relationship is oftentimes through our spouse, through our husbands. We provide security for our wives. And I'm not just talking about financially. We see a picture here. He says, whatever you do, I'll I'll be there for you. He is willing to step up. Don't be afraid. I will do for you. Imagine for a moment that you have nothing more to worry about. That things will be taken care of. She came into this picture with what? Nothing. But it wasn't just the financial aspect of it. 
is also the physical. He said, I want you to stay with the women who are also gleaners. I've instructed the men not to even go near you. I'll take care of you. I will be your security. I'm just telling you, with all these things that are going on, I might have to go to jail if somebody hurt my family. Just saying. I was amazed a few weeks ago at the grace and the humility and the mercy that the Blackburn family gave to the person who killed his wife in Indianapolis. He got up in the morning, went to the gym, come back to find his wife shot twice and molested. I'd be upset beyond words. I might have to go to jail with that other guy who did it. I don't know whether I could be that merciful, that gracious. I want to have I want to be a person who gives security to my family. And there's a lot more can be said about that. But guys, do we offer security? in every way possible that we can. Obviously, God is our strength. God works through us. And our ultimate dependency is on Him. But do we offer security to our spouse, to our family, to the best of our ability? I see that this is a problem for so many because there's a world of selfishness. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, that is, in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'm amazed how often, and if you don't like what I'm about to say, I'm sorry. I don't understand why there was a whole concept of his and hers when it comes to marriage. I don't get that. I don't see it as being biblical. Because when we get married, these two shall become one. But we're going to keep our own separate checking accounts because he has his money and he has hers. I'm just telling you, when we got married, there was one checking account. It's ours. I don't know how many times I've had people in my office over the years saying, I don't even know what my husband makes. I have no clue under the sun. Because it's a secret. There are no secrets in my family. None. Any given day, my wife can take my phone and read through every one of the text messages. She can look at the call list, see who's called me, who I've talked to, what I've said. There's no secrets. You look at what happened in the last couple of years with this Ashley Madison, the big sex scandal. I wonder how many times that, that could have been avoided if we not had separate checking accounts and separate credit cards that each other doesn't have access to. God says these two have become one. one. But yet we live in a world that says, I have mine and you have yours. I don't care what you do. I'll take care of this. You take care of that. Just don't bother me. It's mine. It's not yours. It's God's. And you can disagree with me all you want. That's okay. But I'm telling you, it would save a lot of problems if there was openness and unity and transparency in all these areas. And part of the security comes from knowing that we're one. We're doing this together. Which leads to the next one, verse 11. He says, All the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. He was number four complimentary. 
He was complimentary. All the people in town know that you're a noble character. Guys, do you call attention to your spouse's hard work? To her faithfulness? To her love? Do you compliment her? You need to. You need to. You need to build her up. She deserves it. She's worthy of it. Are you complimentary? I had a man tell me one time, he says, he is about 60 years old. He said, I told my wife I loved her when I got married. If anything changes, I'll let her know. And I had no doubt he loved her. But he says, I'm old school. I ain't got to tell it every day. Sometimes your spouse just needs to hear it. Do you compliment for all the hard work, for the, the fact that she washes your clothes, that she keeps your house clean, that she provides for the meals and takes care of and cooks? Compliment. Boaz comp- commended Ruth for her character. She was a worthy woman. And women, you want somebody who's going to build you up and compliment you. You need that. Men, you need to do that. Recently, we were in a situation where someone wanted us to get to know their friend. And my wife and I walked away and said, man, that guy's rude. If I was that person, there was no way I would date them. It wouldn't happen. Rude. Selfish. Self-centered. That's not what you want because it's not going to get better in time. Some people have the idea, well, it's all, you know, things will get better. Once we get married, once we get our own roof, he'll settle down, he'll get a better job, and he'll take the pressure off, and they'll just, no, it won't change. It doesn't change. They're not going to compliment you and woo you in the, in the dating stage. They're not going to do it later in the marriage stage. Men are creatures of habit. I hate to say it. I'm one of them. Guys, compliment. Number five, verse 12. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. There is honesty. I have no doubt in all my mind, and guys, you can put yourself into this scenario. Here's a woman, and guess what? Not only is there a woman, there is land behind this woman that I get my hands on. Tell you what, let's just kind of quickly do this deal under the table and just walk away. I got the land and the woman. I think there was no doubt he wanted Ruth. Would you agree? He wanted her. She is beautiful. More ways than one. He says, Ruth, i got to be honest with you. I am a family redeemer, but there is one that is closer. I will go there tomorrow. I'll deal with it. I'll allow him the opportunity. But i got to be honest with you. It may not happen. He was very honest. Guys, do you have honesty in your marriage? In your relationships? Your spouse needs honesty. You don't need things sugar-coated. We don't need half-truths because a half-truth is a whole lie. They need honesty. They need that. Boaz took the high road. Took the high road. He didn't work a, a deal under the table. He didn't get, you know, in today's age, if that were the situation, I would have went out and got a high-powered attorney and then pay for it. Because I'm going to get what I want. That's not the high road. Boaz took the high road. Maybe he could have 
hurried the process, got the land, but he didn't. He chose to be honest and transparent. Spouses need to be honest and transparent. Don't hide anything. Once again, honesty, as Abe Lincoln used to say, is the best policy. No, it's the only policy. It's what your wives deserve because you're a child of God. End of statement. Honesty. And then number six, there's two of them that kind of go hand in hand. Loyalty and purity. Loyalty and purity. See this in verse 13. Stay here tonight. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. And then Boaz said, don't be let it known that, that a woman came to the threshing floor. She, he was loyal to his God. Stay here tonight. And remember we talked about last week, under the covering of the talith, it was an accepting of responsibility and care for this woman. And according to the law, Mishnah, he could not do that if there were any sexual relationships at all. There was none involved. It was of utmost purity. It was of utmost transparency. He would hook the high road in this as well. He was loyal to the process. He was loyal to his God. And the right thing, no matter what, is what mattered to him. Can I just say this, women? If he won't honor God, most likely he won't honor you either. If he's okay to do things to you while you're dating, he's not going to take care of you and do what's right while you're married either. If he's willing to sacrifice morality in your dating, he'll do it in the marriage as well. That has proven to be true over and over and over again. Boaz's decisions were based on maturity, not emotions. Emotions will get you in trouble. Take the high road. Be loyal to your God. Be pure in your actions. There are no sexual gestures, no sexual advances. He was more interested in pleasing God than satisfying his flesh. He was a man of loyalty and purity. Then I see one more thing that I think is need to be needs to be true. Verses fifteen through seventeen. And Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the... I'm sorry, below that. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl. She went into the town. Um, She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, how did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. The last characteristic that I see in a man worthy of a godly marriage is generosity. Generosity. Remember, this is a, a time period when the famine is ending. We already see that he was a very benevolent man. He allowed those people to come into his fields and to glean, especially in the life of Ruth. Leave the good stuff on behind so she can pick it up. But I'm sure after coming through a dry spell, he could have very, very easily said, Man, I got bumper crops. I am wealthy. Woo! 
but he gave it out. Don't go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Give me your shawl. Let's fill this up. Don't go empty-handed. He could have kept everything, but he didn't. He was willing to give it away. As a man, are you a giver? Are you willing to sacrifice what's yours to help the needs of others? He was sacrificial. He, was in, he exercised generosity. Can I just say this? Once again, women. If in the dating stage, he's selfish, most likely he'll be selfish in marriage too. Guys don't change overnight. No one does. Does he exercise giving? Does he exercise sacrifice? Does he exercise meeting the needs of others? Not because he has to, but because he can. Is he willing to help out? Is his focus on stuff or the God of the stuff? Where's the focus? I've got to get this. I've got to get that. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. Is it on the stuff or the God of the stuff? Where's the focus? Does he have wealth or does the wealth have him? Those are important things to find out in that stage. The exercise generosity. I don't know about you, but those are some pretty awesome characteristics found in the life of Boaz. Then I see something else that just kind of as it wraps it up. He fulfilled what he said he was going to do. He went to town, as we're going to find out next week. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. He's a man of follow-through. He completed what he starts. That's a tough one, guys, isn't it? Anybody have more than like six projects going on at once? Yeah, I know it's tough. But when it comes to this whole idea of saying, I do, you better look at what he did first. Women, don't sacrifice for something less than what God has for you. Men, don't be less than what God wants you to be. Be a Boaz in this characteristic in these ways. God has a higher standard than what we have for ourselves at times. And we're willing to settle for something less and it doesn't get better sometimes. Some of you have been through a hurtful relationship. Some of you have been had your heart broken. And these things have been true in your life. They weren't there and it ended in destruction. God was not at the center of it all. And you've been hurt through that. Guys, don't let your marriage fall apart because you're not willing to be the man that God has called you to be. Those of you that are not yet married, don't settle for something less than what God has for you to have. Wait on God. His timing is perfect. I've said many times, I don't understand. I can't relate to being lonely as some of you are. God has been so gracious to me, so merciful. I am blessed with an incredibly awesome, on a scale of 1 to 10 wife, but she's like a 79. I'm just up there somewhere in outer space. I don't deserve it. But he's so good. But I'd rather wait on God than to settle for something less than what he has for me. Because right is always right. Men, be a Boaz. Women, look for those characteristics. Guys, work on those characteristics. Be who God has for you to be.